I was escorting a group of three people to a film wrap party in Hollywood, and I had to stop to fill up on gasoline. While the car was filling, I got into a conversation with the people in my car. One of the passengers said, let's go. And I turned on the car and drove off without disconnecting the fuel dispenser from the pump. And so that was an epic fail. I went to this party and I was famished. I was really hungry, so I went straight to the appetizers and I grabbed what looked like uh, some nuts from a bowl and I immediately popped them into my mouth and when I bit down, I realized they weren't nuts. They were olive pits that other people had spit out. And so I secretly and discreetly spit out the olive pits that someone else had spit out and threw them away. I feel like I am not a funny person. This is like my only great story, besides giving birth to a baby. That's a good story. When I was in college, I lived with a whole bunch of girls and we were on staff at a nonprofit organization. And one evening we were having a big fundraiser for the organization and everyone was going around saying their name and their profession. And the gentleman sitting beside me, it was his turn, and he says, hi, my name's so-and-so, and let's just say I'm in the plumbing business. And I thought, this is perfect. Our toilet had just broken that day. So I leaned over to him and I said, sir, uh, our toilet just broke today. Do you think you might be able to help us? And he said, sweetheart, I'm a urologist. <laughs> of course he's a urologist. <laughs> good morning, good morning. Let's give God a hand praise. That was... Uh... Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. I am delighted to be here with you uh, this morning for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is that your senior pastor, John, and his wife, Nancy, are among my most beloved and uh, dearest colleagues and friends here in the Valley. And the second reason is that uh, as he's uh, at New Beginnings and I'm here, it's a a real reminder that while there are tons of wonderful Christian congregations throughout the Bay Area, we're all a part of one church. And we have the same mission, which is to lift up for a broken and complex world the good news that is in Jesus Christ. So I am just delighted to be here with you. And can we just, let's just Give God a hand praise for that shared mission that we have. Shared mission. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to uh, simply honor the reading of God's Word by standing. And actually, this is, a, this is verse 5 of Psalms 23, which is well known by both Christians and, 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 and non-Christians alike. And so we can just read it together, all right? Come on, let's read. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Amen. Please be seated. God, work a miracle in all of our lives, including mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm delighted that this weekend you're, uh, you're starting a new series called uh, Made Perfect in Weakness. And essentially, uh, the point that, uh, that John will be making in the weeks to come is that there's no one in the kingdom of God and no one who comes to church that's flawless. Uh, uh, can you say nobody? 
All right, now here's the deal. I'm going to be asking you to repeat some things and talk to your neighbors. And so you want to do that with gusto. Everybody shout gusto. There you go. There you go. No one's perfect, actually. That's why everyone is welcome, because none of us are perfect. And so I thought we'd kick this off by looking at an Old Testament uh, person, uh, King David, actually, through the lens of Psalms 23. The scholars tell us that uh, King David uh, probably wrote this psalm near the end of his life. And it's good to know that his uh, tenure as king of Israel was about 40 years, and he died at around the age of 70. So given that he wrote it towards the end of his life, he's more than likely reflecting back over the totality of his life as king and, and, uh, and his life in relationship to God. And I, I think if he was here today, he would say, listen, I've embedded in this psalm some of my best insight when it comes to how to help you guys who are living in Silicon Valley to live a more fulfilled and less stressed life. Ask the person next to you, do you want to live a less stressed life? Ask him. <laughs> now, the first point that uh, King David makes that kind of help get us moving in that direction, less stressed and more fulfilled, is the point of the fact that we need to grow our relationship, grow our intimacy with God. Everybody shout intimacy. Okay, tell the person next to you, God wants you to come closer. Tell them. God wants you to come closer. Now, David actually teaches this point by how he structures the psalm itself. If you'll notice in verse 2 and 3, his emphasis is on the pronoun he. He maketh me lie down. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He, in a sense, David is kind of reporting on God. He's uh, to others, uh, talking about God to others. But then in verse 4, notice this shift in the pronoun. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You, oh God, you anoint my head with oil. It is, your, it is you that make my cup runneth over. David moves from talking about God to talking to God. And I would suggest that if David was here today, he would say, oh, yeah, that's, that's one way to continue to grow your intimacy with God, to get closer to God. It's one thing to kind of muse about God, to, to talk about God with others, but it's an even more important thing to talk to God. And David would say, increase the frequency with which you talk to God. Talking to God. David would say if he was here, that's... That's, that's another way of my saying that I learned over the course of 70 years how to live life with God. Everybody shout, with God. With God. How to live life with God. See, they would say, I, 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 I've known some incredible highs of personal accomplishment. Now, under my tenure of 40 years, David would say, uh, when I first 
became king, and uh, Israel was a kind of loose configuration of confederate uh, kind of tribal states. Under my leadership, it became one of the most powerful nations in the world, politically, militarily, and economically. I, 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 I've known some great highs. They would say, I, I've also known some incredible lows. If he was here, he would say, as I look back over 40 years of leading my people, one of the things that I regret the most is when at the pinnacle of my leadership, I misused my authority. I, I had a young woman named Bathsheba brought to me, and I had an affair with her. She got pregnant, and I gave orders for her husband to be killed to cover up what I had done. I know lows. As a father, I tried to raise my kids best I could, and one day I woke up to discover that uh, one of my daughters had been raped by her half-brother, and, 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 and that son got killed by another one of his brothers. And under my roof is this incredible dysfunction of rape and violence. I know incredible, I've known incredible lows, David would say. But in all of the highs and all of the lows, I just made sure that I kept doing life with God. I kept engaging God. I stayed connected all the way through. Let's see, can I explain it a different way? My wife, Rhonda, and I have been married for, uh, come August, 32 years. And yeah, celebrate that. And the other day, I was just celebrating her and talking about how amazing she is, and I told her that, uh, by the way, husbands, that's a good thing to do, to tell your wives how amazing they are, especially when you don't want anything, you're just kind of just saying it, you know. Uh, so I was, I was saying to her how amazing she was, and I was saying that she was completely irreplaceable. And, and, and I was saying that one of the many things that makes her irreplaceable is that, uh, you know, she's been with me through all of my highs over the last 32 years. I mean... You know, 11 month amazing courtship and a wonderful wedding, and, and, and I'm talking about highs. I mean, when I graduated from college and was an ordained minister, I mean, she was there with me through all of my highs. But she was also there with me through all of my, my lows over the last 32 years. I mean, I remember uh, when, we were, when we were so poor, uh, actually, we weren't poor, we was like poor. Can you say Poe? Yeah, yeah, that's where we were. We were digging through the couch trying to find enough change so that we could go to the store and buy what we call Tom Ra Top Ramen. I think it was, it was 35 cents at that a package, 35 cents. That's how we're going to cook lunch. We were Poe. She was with me. She was there with me and stayed with me through our, the growing pains of our marriage when there's tears and prayers and wanting to leave. But, she, but you know, she was there. She was there with me when we lost our first son. I'm talking about she was with me through my lows. So when Rhonda says to me today, I love you, it, it has all of the nuances and the richness of 32 years of experiences like that. When, when I say to her, I love her, it has all that nuance, that richness, and 
and, 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 and I can rely on her love and she can rely on my love. And, and some of you have best friends that fit that category. And some of you have siblings that fit that category. This is exactly what David is saying. When you do life with somebody through the highs and the lows, David is saying, you know, you know me and Rhonda, we like, we like here. And, and David is saying, you know, me and God, you know, like we, 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 we like, we together. People say, you know, I, I, whenever I had a personal accomplishment, I celebrated it with God. That's why I wrote Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name. It was simply my way of saying, God, this accomplishment would not have happened had it not been for you. When I, when I would wake up surrounded by my own brokenness and my own kind of premeditated sinfulness and the shame that came from that, I learned to confess it to God. That's why I wrote Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great, great compassion. Shout great compassion. Your great compassion. I'm going to wipe out the stain of sin from my life. And David says, I, I'm here to tell you today that God, every time he, he showered me with grace and showered me with forgiveness and he redeemed and restored me, that's the God that I know. Him. And, and when, when I would find myself in seasons uh, where life just didn't make sense. And, 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 and I felt sometimes that God was, had left me and abandoned me. Well, you know what? I confided that in God. I, I was honest with God. I, that's why I wrote Psalms 13, where I said to God, uh, how long will you forget me, God? Forever. Why, will you, uh, why are you turned away from me? Turn towards me. Answer me. Renew the spark in my eyes or I'm going to die. Listen, guys, I'm just telling you, I was honest with God. And, 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 and the point that David would make is that if you want to kind of reduce your stress, you've got to remember that God is always there to do the heavy lifting. And so don't run from God. Don't run ahead without God. But David says, always, always, always run to God. And over time, your intimacy grows. It made all the difference for David. Then David does something in this passage, really, verse 5, that just blows my mind. Do you want to know what it is? Oh, I thought, I said, <laughs> I, 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 he starts with how he, he, he it's, it's how he shifts the imagery. You see, in verse 1, he begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. For the next three verses, God is shepherd. That's the major imagery in the text. Then when he gets to verse 5, he shifts the image from shepherd to host. For you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You, you, it's because of you that my cup runneth over. You see, in that day, hospitality was one of the highest values. Uh, in their culture. And the person who was a host, and particularly if you were a wealthy host, uh, in many ways uh, you became the kind of, the, the best metaphor for, for what a servant looked like. Because uh, if you came to 
uh, a host would invite you into his home, and as long as you were under his roof, he would protect you from your enemies. Uh, he'd make sure that you would eat wonderful meals, uh, and he would, he, would, he, would, he would pour oil on your head. To, that's his way of honoring you and respecting you, and he would make sure that your, your cup that's full of some of the best wine would never run empty. Just keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring. Tell somebody, that's, that sounds pretty good to me. I like that. Can I meet a host like that? Talking about imagery, um, let me ask you a question. If you had to select one picture or one metaphor that represents the why behind how you live your life every day, what picture, what metaphor would you select? Let me encourage you to write that question down and kind of just reflect on it over the course of the next week. And, and while you're thinking about it now, maybe writing it down, let me, let, me, uh, let me just kind of back into the answer this way, at least from my perspective. Uh, I am a hardcore warrior fan. Are there any warrior fans in the place? Yes. And let me just tell you, my biggest dream, my greatest hope for the Warriors in a few weeks is really captured by this picture right here. It's, it's, it's them all gathered around a trophy. Yes, yes. And written on the trophy is the word, or the word, is the word champion. Finals 2018. Oh, that's my great dream for them. <laughs> I wonder in an odd kind of way, could that picture kind of be the picture that represents the why behind how you live your life. Oh, no, 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 I don't mean the warriors around the trophy. I mean you holding up the trophy. Because one of the things that Silicon Valley does to us is it seduces us into prioritizing personal accomplishment above everything else. And when we prioritize personal accomplishment above everything else, in a real way, we're just, we're kind of pursuing the trophy. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. If we can talk to each other, I mean, isn't it really kind of our dream to be on top, to be the best, to be great, to be the greatest? I mean, don't we kind of, isn't that our strategy with raising our kids? We baptize and dedicate kids today. I mean, isn't it kind of seen in how we want our kids to make the best grades so they can get into the best schools, so they can get, they can get the best jobs? Why? Well, so they can have the greatest accomplishment. I'm not here to say that pursuing the trophy, having great accomplishments is a bad thing. I, I'm just suggesting perhaps it should not be the very, the number one thing that you're chasing. I, I had a friend tell me the other day, he's really high up in a corporation here uh, in Silicon Valley. He says, you know what, what I've learned about uh, pursuing uh, uh, personal accomplishment is the number one thing in your life. He says, it's, it's insatiable. He says, you know, you, you get one promotion, you go into the next. You get one salary raise, you go to the next. He says, and what I've discovered is, while it feels good in the moment, it doesn't fill you up. Fulfill. Oh, I like to, I actually use the term, fill you full. But what he's learned is, actually, what really fills him full 
It's not what he accomplishes for himself, but in how he serves others. Now, that's what's so fascinating about the insight that David reveals about what he learned about God, and he depicts it right here in the, in the text. He, he, he says, basically, he presents God as a host, the ultimate servant. And here's what David is ultimately saying. Listen, here's what he says. He says, look, I want you to understand. You prepare, everybody shout, prepare. Come on, say prepare. Yes, yes, there's a Hebrew verb beneath that. That means that the person who's preparing is actually one active in doing the arrangement. And what David is, is depicting is a God who stepped out on nothing and gave birth to the universe and, 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 had the, and made it possible for planets to rotate without a computer chip or any cables. They can stay in place. Come on, y'all. That that God is the same God who puts on an apron and goes into the kitchen and makes sure that the pots are, are, are not boiling over and the temperature is right and it's changing stuff in the oven, that this is the same God. Say, prepare. Amen. Yes, this is the same God who comes out and puts on facility workman clothes, sets up all the tables, put out the mats, put the plates in pla on the table, silverware, he sets it up. He brings all the pots of food to feast, and he puts it all on the table. And then what David says, what blows his mind is that when God finished preparing the table, he actually says to David, now, David, I want you to sit down at this table. Who, me, David says? I'm the one who committed adultery. Who, me, David says? I am the one who, who had a man shot. Yes, you. I, I want you to sit at the table so I can serve you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour on your head the oil of grace, the oil of love, the oil of affirmation, the oil of says that, that I'm for you and I'm not against you. Can you see God serving in that text? Doesn't that really just blow your mind? To think of God serving you, I mean, it blows my mind. When I, when I look at my life, I started off as a scarred kid, born in San Francisco, ended up in special education. I was on my way flunking out of school, and, and God stepped into my life. And, and when he finished turning me around, I'm here on the stage preaching to you today because God has, I can't believe it, he's, 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 he's served me. Tell somebody God is consistent. Yeah, God is consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we meet God in Jesus in the New Testament, in Mark, for example, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, what, what do we learn about Jesus? What, what Jesus says to his disciples as just before the crucifixion, he, he calls them together and he says, listen, if you want to really know what it means to be a Jesus follower, if you want to know what it means to follow me, here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. Let him or her who would be the greatest among you be your servant. He said, do you want to be first? Awesome. Here's how you be first as a Jesus follower. Uh, 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 be the slave of all. And then Jesus says, look, I'm modeling for you what's number one in my heart. I'm modeling for you what's number one in, in the heart of the Father. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. That's right in the heart of what we call communion. My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. Wow. 
And then a little later on, John says, after that little meeting, Jesus does something that's really, really fascinating and could be confusing, except for now we have some insight. He says that after they finish eating, Jesus takes a towel, pulls off his, his external coat, and, and he takes a towel, and he gets down on his knees, and he says, come here, Peter, come here, Peter, come here. Oh, your feet are all dirty. Just come here, come here, come here. He says, and he takes some water, and he washes his feet, all the dust off. And he takes a towel, and he dries it. And it's the kind of way that Jesus is saying, I'm calling you, I'm calling you, come, 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 come. Let me, let me serve you. Let me wash you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What is Jesus teaching as he stands up? What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is saying, it's okay to pursue the trophy, but that shouldn't be your number one pursuit in life. Your number one pursuit in life. This is how to lower the stress. This is how to lower the performance anxiety. This is, this is how to move towards being filled full. Make the number one thing that you pursue, not the trophy, but um, the towel. The towel. Now let me ask you, how might that change your parenting strategy? If the highest value you teach your kids before personal accomplishment, sir. How might that change how you relate to your spouse? If, in fact, your, your chief paradigm for relating to your spouse or the person that you're dating is not for you to be served, but for you to serve. How might that change how you lead your corporation if you are CEO? Or how you think about designing software as an engineer? Or how you... Teach. I mean, if in fact the lens through which you look at what you do and how you do, that it's all about imitating God and serving first. Well, let me just tell you, your stress level will drop. Performance anxiety will drop. You know, you're in your day much more filled full. Here's what Barbara Bush said. I like the way she reflected on this. She says, never forget that your greatest yardstick to measure your success in life will be how you treat others, your family, your friends, strangers that you meet along the way. That's your best yardstick for measuring success. I like the way Dr. King put it. He put it like this. He says, look, you want to be great? Good. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. He says, you don't need a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. All you need is a, is a heart full of love and a soul generated by grace. Anybody can serve. Everybody who's a Jesus follower should serve. As we finish looking at this text, what shocks me is this, y'all. If you ask the question, who provided the table? The answer is God. Shout God. God. If you ask the question, who put the food on the table? God. If you ask the question, who provided the, 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 the oil that went on the head? God. And who provided the wine that kept running over? God serves out of his generosity. You see? And guess what? You don't have to be wealthy to serve. Just serve out of who you are. And you'll be filled. Full. 
Let's pray. God, shift the paradigm in our lives. Help us to choose serving first. Amen. Let me ask you to do one more thing on the back of your bulletin. Here's the challenge I want you to take into the week. I simply want you to write or type it in your phone. This week, I will serve first. God bless you.